I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 86 of the Fan of History podcast. Sotonius. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm the fan of history. And with me today I have another fan of history. It's David. Hi, David. Hello, hello. Hello, yes, it's another Swedish co-host, so the amount yes. of Swinglish will be terrible for your poor yes. American ears. Noteworthy, noteworthy Swinglish. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, I talked to David, we have worked together in my Serial Killer podcast, which is in Swedish. David has been writing scripts and appearing now in two episodes. Yes. And I discovered that David was interested in history. Tell me more about that. Yes, uh, I have a big interest in a lot of things, but uh, especially literature. And uh, lately I've been really getting into ancient literature. Yeah. For instance, uh, I think it was last year I read uh, The Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, which you can find some videos on on the Fan of History YouTube channel. Yes. So uh, yes, I'm very interested in uh, ancient literature. That's like my big uh, history interest. I mean, there is so much that is history. Yes. But I, especially, I'm interested in ancient history. And uh, last year, I uh, read a course on Roman emperors yeah. at the Stockholm University. And uh, there we focused on the literature of uh, ancient Rome. Yeah. Especially the literature which is the basis for what we today know of the early Roman Empire. Yeah, the, the primary sources. Yes, exactly. 
So we read uh, a lot of things, but mainly we read Suetonius and Tacitus, which are the big two uh, names when it comes to ancient Rome and its uh, written history. Yeah, so today we're talking about historical literature about history. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a double dip. When I started Fan of History, I sort of expected to do the chronological narrative. And as I started in 2014, I suppose that I would be at about the Roman emperors now, but uh, (laughs) we're still in the 690s for the narrative. So this is a look ahead to the times of the Roman emperors. Yes. But to understand that, we have to understand... uh, Suetonius, so he's the subject of today's show. Yes, I think maybe we should start with a short biography on Suetonius and uh, learn more about who he was. Yes, please. Although there isn't very much information, but we will use what we have. He wrote more about the emperors than he wrote about himself. Yes, exactly, and there is more written about the emperors than about him, but we have... uh, some small sources here and there which pieced together paints some kind of picture of who Suetonius was. Yeah. When talking about old authors like Suetonius, it can be a real hassle to pinpoint exact dates, but Suetonius was probably born sometime between 65 and 70 Anno Domini. Yeah. AD. If this is right, it means he was born into the world during the reign of one of Rome's most notorious emperors, Nero. Good old Nero. Yes, good old Nero. Uh, He was in power from 54 to 68 AD. So uh, Suetonius would have been a kid during this time. Yeah. Uh, a very small kid then if he was born in 65 so yeah exactly yeah exactly he was three years so old when uh, Suetonius fell then I guess yeah uh, uh, Nero fell yeah when Nero yeah. fell <laughs> exactly but we we know very little about Suetonius younger years uh, and as a young adult but what from what we know about his later years, we can assume that he was born into a wealthy or at least something like an upper middle-class family, something yeah, like then that. Then you can probably expect his uh, upbringing to be somewhat standard for an upper-middle-class family. Yeah, so. exactly. The, it wasn't a starving family or anything like that. No. They had a house, probably uh, some servants and stuff like that. So slaves. They, slaves, exactly. <laughs> and then he would have become an adult at 14. Yeah, exactly. people did. Early, begin early. But the time when we start to get some real information... Uh, on Suetonius is around the fall of Emperor Domitian and that is uh, 96 AD Uh, and then Suetonius would have been something like 25 years old and from around this time we have letters that were written between Suetonius and another great Roman author namely Pliny the Younger that is amazing that their correspondence has survived 2,000 years. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, it's, it's really uh, arbitrary what has survived and what hasn't in 
many uh, cases. Absolutely. So, like we, the, you can read about this great work which should contain a lot of interesting information, but it just hasn't survived. But we have letters that speak about the the big work. So, yeah. yeah. So Tony says to Pliny, "Have you read this?" And Pliny says, "Yeah, it's great, <laughs> and we can't read it." <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, so let's talk a l- just a little bit about Pliny the Younger. Please do. Yeah, he was a lawyer who had been elected quester in his late twenties, and this means that he was highly likely closely involved in Roman politics and the machinery behind the curtain and so on. From letters sent between Suetonius and Pliny the Younger, uh, we can gather that Pliny was something of a tutor uh, for Suetonius. So, during the year after the death of Domitian, that is uh, 97 AD, one of the letters from Pliny to Suetonius tells us that Pliny had succeeded in making a nice deal on the price of a farm for Suetonius, where he would be able to relax. And I read in uh, some sources that uh, this farm where he could relax was supposed to for uh, Suetonius to relax after his uh, hard work on writing stuff. But, I mean, it's so strange because to me it sounds like an arrangement for someone who is uh, into old age, you know, and no, now I'm going out on the farm just to relax and live out my last years. But, I mean... uh, to me, it sounds like uh, he is really becoming a, a sponsor of uh, of Suetonius that uh, I know yeah. that Sut- this Suetonius guy can write and if he has this farm where he can relax maybe he will write more yeah, it might, might have been that kind of arrangement but That's it sounds extremely true. upper class from Pliny yeah exactly and uh, when I did some research on this I found out that Suetonius would have been like 25-26 years old something like that at this time and yeah Pliny the younger fixed a farm for him <laughs> yeah but it, this lo- it seems like the the this kind of patron-client relationship that I'm giving you this farm yeah. and now you are my in my debt. Yeah, so you will be my client. Something like that. Uh, and then there is another Pliny letter from uh, this time that talks about Suetonius working as a lawyer with direct instructions from Pliny on how to proceed with a specific case. Well, yeah, it's hard to say if this was something Suetonius just dabbled in for a short while or if he made a career as a lawyer. But he certainly worked for at least a short time as a lawyer. Yeah. So, I mean, he he was someone. <laughs> yeah, he, I think it was uh, a very normal way of making a career in Rome that yeah. lawyers become famous that they, when you win cases yeah they they did and i i there are a lot of uh, old ancient ancient roman works that just uh, tell the history of famous lawyers yeah. uh, during rome uh, i think it's part of the nature of lawyering in yeah. ancient rome because the laws of justinian are not in place there were mm-hmm. 500 years before yeah. so th- there are some written laws but it all comes down to the rhetoric ability of the lawyer yes exactly and uh, ancient rome was all about uh, rhetorics and yes. how good uh, rhetoric you, you were yep so that's that's the truth in there is uh, now we're getting into a third letter from Pliny the younger and it's from 105 AD, when Suetonius should have been in his 30s. 
and in that letter Pliny the Younger urges him to finally release a work of literature which people have been waiting for for a long time, but it is never revealed which work of literature this is. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's just any work of literature. It's like I gave you this nice farm yeah, exactly. ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you might be. Yeah, yet. so Pliny is like you know, kind of teasing him. Yeah. It's time now, finally, or something. Whereas Suetonius is just hanging around on the farm, having a great time. Yes, exactly. And then around uh, uh, 110 AD, five years later, Pliny the Younger wrote a letter to uh, Emperor. Trajan, is that how you... Trajan, I Trajan. think. Trajan, yeah. yeah, that's the way. Uh, and th- there he, Pliny asked Trajan for a certain perk to be given to Suetonius, and that is the three-child privilege. Okay. And there is some nice Latin term for this, which I can't remember right now. Um, we, are, we are not a Latin podcast, so... Yes, exactly. But let's call it that. Yes, three-child privilege. This was a privilege which was given to Roman citizens if they had three children or more, which meant that they would be free of heavy taxes and have other economic perks. And Pliny the Younger describes Suetonius as a learned and sophisticated man in his letter to Trajan. Yeah, please note here that it's the opposite to modern China. It's like, yeah. please have three children so Rome can grow and not you may only have three children. Exactly, it's like, please exactly. have ten children. I have to mention Trajan because Trajan is my favorite Roman emperor. And if I ever get to the Roman emperors in this podcast, you will hear me talk so much about him because he is awesome. And during his reign, the Roman Empire is at its biggest because of stuff he does and then Hadrian undas. But these, uh, there is a lot of letters preserved between Pliny and uh, uh, Trajan, which are extremely interesting, but we'll not get into those now. But yeah. keep that in mind for the uh, one tens podcast in 2038 or something. We're all looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, but... Uh... Back to the three-child privilege. It's pretty obvious that Suetonius had some powerful friends because he got this three-child privilege, although he didn't have any children. At least our knowledge, <laughs> when he got this privilege, he didn't have any kids. But uh, wow. from what I learned, this wasn't uncommon. I mean, this privilege was made for people who had three or more children from the beginning. Yeah. But then later on, it was like... Uh, some just some kind of uh, perky tutorship for uh, noteworthy people, you know, like okay. you do this and you're kind of famous and you're good, so you get this privilege. Yeah, you're as cool as the people with three kids. Yes, exactly. And that meant that you could uh, live a kind of easy life, I guess, yep. not having to pay so much for everything. So... In the old town of Hipporigius in Numidia of North Africa, an inscription has been found which tells us that Suetonius had been honored with a couple of priest titles. And these priest titles were common in Rome yes. at that time. <laughs> you could have like a dozen of them. If There are many gods in Rome and uh, yeah. many priesthoods, so just join as many as possible. Exactly. And uh, beside these priest titles, uh, according to this inscription in the media, Suetonius also had three important work titles. And one of them was Director of Imperial Archives. 
It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it does. But it, it's also interesting because it has been speculated that Suetonius' access to these archives, uh, probably full of detailed information on all the emperors and their lives, is what made him able to write his most famous work. Which, which without, we wouldn't have a lot of information on the early Roman emperor. So, I mean, in his leisure time, he could just go go through all these files, you know, and learn lots of interesting things. Perfect. Yeah. I- imagine here, we have Suetonius, who has some promise as a writer. Pliny gave him a farm, and then ten years later, you better write something. And yes. he's, he just got this new gig as director of the Imperial Orchestra. He's, I'm going to write about... Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's like uh, a match made in heaven, my work and this ambition. And uh, thank you, Suetonius. Yeah, indeed. And yes, now we... Get to the work itself. Yeah, we get to the work itself, or at least we should mention it now. That work is called, uh, in original Latin, De Vita Sacerum, or in English, uh, The Twelve Caesars. Or, as we call it in Swedish, this is just a little bonus info, Caesar Biographier, which translates to Emperor Biographies. And this uh, title has uh, come under scrutiny since uh, the work, The Twelve Caesars, is about, uh, tells the history from Caesar to uh, Domitian. Yeah. But, uh, in fact, Caesar is not counted as an emperor. No, but he is... He's the Caesar, yes, right? Yes, he's so, the Caesar. Yeah. He started it all. But, uh, the tw- so, but the Twelve Caesars in English, that's a good title because it describes exactly what it is because all of them had the name Caesar. Ah, <laughs> like, uh, good point. Yes. And the Latin title, De Vita Caesarum, uh, translates to kind of the lives of the Caesars, which is yeah, yeah. also very telling. But we'll get back to that uh, work later on. More about uh, the writing of this yeah. book. Uh, during the reign of the emperor after Trajan, namely Emperor Hadrian, Suetonius mm. is said to have worked as the emperor's secretary, which further tells us of his close connection to the senate and the paperwork concerning the rule and political antics of the Roman Empire. Uh, Hadrian is probably my second Roman yeah. <laughs> emperor favorite, so I'll... Oh God, Hadrian, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So please proceed. Yes, I will, I, and I look forward to those episodes. <laughs> we were trying to hear them. So, from what we have learned about uh, Suetonius' uh, line of work and stuff, it seems like he was uh, pretty into the inner workings of the Roman Empire, which I personally think gives merit to this book of his, the Twelve Caesars. Uh, which has often been criticized for being sensationalist and outlandish and stuff like that. But since he, he probably had these great sources, you know, they, uh, yeah. the imperial archives, I, I, I think that this uh, makes him trustworthy. Tacitus is writing during the reign of Domitian, right? Or is he working later? Oh, God, I don't want to swear on it right now, but I think he is... Uh, he wrote his uh, most famous work on the Julian-Claudian dynasty around the same time as Suetonius wrote the Twelve Caesars. Okay. But I, I don't want to swear on anything right now. Yeah, but I'm think? thinking that like Hadrian is uh, probably not too rough a master if you want to write about all the emperors. He probably cares a lot what you say yes. about Trajan. Exactly, exactly. But not anybody else. 
I mean, uh, maybe Nerva. Both both Suetonius and Tacitus would probably not have been able to write their stuff under any other yeah. emperor because they they and they have said it themselves a lot of times that we're so happy to be living in times when we can tell our truths during the time of the five good emperors. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, we will get into the Twelve Caesars, but first a brief mentioning of uh, Suetonius' other works that have survived into our times. Suetonius wrote something called De Viris Illustribus, roughly translated as On Famous Men. Uh, only fragments exist of this. And this work was something like a best of, telling of the lives of noteworthy men in the fields of grammarians, writ- Historians, poets, and historians, and probably some lawyers as well, <laughs> who who were, were these uh, rhetorics of yeah. which we have spoken. And he also wrote uh, two works on Greek culture, namely Greek games and Greek terms of abuse, which I think is like Greek swear words or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so interesting. Like, yeah, very interesting. But uh, the. And these two uh, Greek-themed works were written in Greek, and they only survive in parts found in other old Greek books. I mean, the Ersetonis is listed among a lot of other sources for these books. But now, let's finish on the biography of Suetonius. He died sometime after 120 AD. And in 120 AD, he would have been like 50 years old or something. Uh, but we cannot say for sure if uh, we can we can't say for sure when he died uh, the, he he wrote the 12 caesars not long before his uh, probable death yeah uh, so we know he wrote it in about 120 AD yeah something like that yeah yes and it's, a, it's it's no surprise that we don't know when he died as he himself wasn't the subject of biography yes exactly and, uh, exactly not so important that anybody else would note his death there's maybe a tombstone somewhere but it might 2000 be, yes. years have passed so yes exactly but like now truly we have uh, been through everything that is known about Suetonius so wow. his life doesn't really survive into our time but luckily one of his biggest works does and that is the Twelve Caesars yes and thanks to him we have this uh, and to other authors and the letters etc we have this great coverage of an era in history which is so much better than many eras after it yeah. we don't know a lot about what happened in the 6th century AD for example yeah. but this period we know so much about yeah. and in uh, we, we, in the 12 Caesars we really get this uh, colorful look on the uh, Caesar and the 11 uh, first emperors yes and uh, this is a much different way of writing history than uh, anything written earlier (laughs) yes indeed and that is really important to point out because sometimes Suetonius gets scrutinized when people think of him as an historian but that wasn't his official title at all or what he should be read as because he was a biographer and he writes as a biographer so that means uh, colorful language stuff that might not be historically important if you aren't into the religions of yeah. <laughs> the ancient times and stuff like that and of course he gets uh, 
subjective many times in the book, but not in the way that you can understand his opinion. But I mean, he doesn't shy away from describing the bad sides of the emperors in a colorful way. And that goes for all of them. He has at least one bad thing to say about every single emperor in the book, the Twelve Caesars. Which is the last emperor in the book? It's Domitian. Okay, so he doesn't cover Nerva and Trajan. Exactly. Yeah. The, okay. It stops there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we could make a little uh, walkthrough of the, peop- the twelve people in the book. The first one is obviously Caesar. Yes. The one who started it all. Yeah. And then we have uh, Augustus. Yeah. Or Octavianus. Or how do you pronounce it? Octavianus. Octavian, I think. Is Octavian the, is the English word, yes. Actually, there, I, have, I heard people made difference between Octavianus and Octavian. Yeah, but I, there is a difference. Because, yeah, because... Yeah. yeah, you know about it. Yes. Uh, but Augustus, of course, is his most famous name. Yes, exactly. First uh, among equals. Yes, indeed. And it's from him that we got the name for the eighth month of the year. Yeah. Good old August. <laughs> yes. And before that, uh, July is from Julius in Caesars. Yes. And if Commodus had had his way, all other months would be named Commodus. It is like, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> that's, that's another so story. <laughs> and then, of course, after Augustus, we have uh, Tiberius. Yes. Who I uh, remember as a kind of an unwilling uh, emperor. Very unwilling. He had a very special mother. <laughs> Uh, he did indeed. Who wanted him to be emperor. Yes. And maybe killed a lot of people to make it happen. Indeed, indeed. And after t- Tiberius, of course, we have uh, Caligula, which is, which is one of my uh, favorite emperors. I don't know about all of them, but he is uh, easily one of the most interesting to me. And uh, definitely one of the most craziest emperors. One of the craziest, one of the most cruel um, when it comes to the information we have about all the emperors, Suetonius is very important because like everything we know about Caligula today is based on what is found in the 12 Caesars. There is very little information on him elsewhere. And that's different from the other emperors, right? Because we have other sources for most of the other 12. Yes, indeed we do. And like in the case of uh, Caesar, he wrote an autobiography, which we can gain a lot from, especially when it comes to his uh, conquering and stuff like that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, but then, of course, after Caligula, we have his uh, uncle, I believe, Claudius. Yes. And after Claudius, we have... Nero. Nero. And uh, after Nero, is it... No, it's not... Galba. Galba. Also... Also... Vitellius. Yes, Vitellius. And Vespasian. Yes. The year of the four emperors. And after uh, Vespasian, we have... uh, Titus. 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 (laughs) Yes. And then uh, we end on the mission. All right. So... Maybe I could speak some on, on the uh, construction and structure of uh, the Twelve Caesars, how it is written and uh, Please do. what it contains. So, Suetonius has a lot of themes which are recurring in all the chapters on the different emperors in the Twelve Caesars. There are some things that he always comes back to, and that's all uh, the different uh, omens that uh, preceded uh, their status as emperor, and also about a lot of omens that they themselves saw during their reign, and like things they were paranoid about. There are some really funny anecdotes on uh, the real extreme things the emperors were prepared to do just to avoid certain things that they believed uh, would cause them harm, you know, like superstitious stuff. Give me an example. Uh, An example. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think... uh, uh, Caligula was very afraid of the lightning, the thunder and lightning. Okay. So he like hid inside his palace when it was bad weather outside. Yeah. Because he, like many others, of course, thought that that were the gods who were after him. And he's not the only one of the C- the, the twelve Caesars in the books uh, afraid of thunder and lightning. I think Augustus was as well very afraid of thunder and lightning. Uh, so stuff like that is recurring he goes through omens uh, on all of them and he also has very detailed descriptions of how they looked and that is also in all of the chapters like he describes if they had uh, big eyes or small eyes if they were tall or short and so on and I mean when I guess he did the best from the sources he had uh, instead of just looking at the you know glorifying statues which portray these uh, emperors. But I mean, when you read something like uh, the description of Claudius' appearance, it's like very mean. He's described like something of a, a hunchbacked freak. Maybe that was why he survived the reign of Caligula. Yes, it might be, because he was no threat to the guy. Uh, something like that. And uh, Suetonius also goes into the character traits 
uh, of all the emperors. I mean, he is not afraid to be subjective in that way if he says that one emperor might be a good listener or something like that, or uh, this emperor has bad bedside manners or something like that. So he, he does some kind of psychological analysis of their characters. Interesting. Yes, it's very interesting. So, uh, what more can be said about the structure of the work? Well, all the chapters end on the emperors, the the death of the emperors, how how they died, and some of the chapters might have some little extra information on, you know, the aftermath, especially in the case of Nero, when you can read a lot about the famous uh, doppelgangers that appeared after after Nero's death, <laughs> and the common belief that Nero wasn't dead, because there were so many people showing up claiming that they were Nero, yeah. to gain advantages like uh, his heritage, or something like that, or, you know, just... Yeah, uh, seems like a dangerous con. To yeah, run. really. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining how that would even work. You know, like just working, going into town. Hello, I'm Nero. <laughs> Will you buy me a beer? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, but, and, and uh, what? Another thing I can say about the structure is that the chapters which uh, begin the Twelve Caesars. Uh, the first chapter of course about Caesar and the other about Augustus those are the two longest chapters of course uh, and the, and the only thing and that is it might sound like oh but in, in fact it is kind of uh, fantastic that the only thing that is missing from the 12 Caesars uh, you know the original text yeah. uh, is the beginning of the chapter on Caesar other than that it's totally complete There's so when a, does it start yeah, the story of Caesar. Yeah, I'm not sure, but what is missing is like uh, some parts of his uh, childhood. I believe that I believe that Caesar is somewhere in his uh, early. I believe that Caesar is somewhere in his early twenties when the chapter on Caesar begins, because I know there are stories of Caesar having to hide himself from. There is a lot of stories about Caesar before he was 20. Yeah, exactly. So, like, those you won't find in Suetonius. Interesting. Yeah. There is, the, of course, the, the Queen of Bithynia story. The pirates are before that. Yeah. The uh, exclusion in uh, Salas exterminations. Yeah, but how, how old was uh, Caesar when he, wa- he himself was captured by pirates? Because that part I remember from Suetonius. Oh, it may, might have been in his 20s, actually. Yeah. But so that's possible. That's probably an early part then. Because it, uh, yeah, that part of the Caesar chapter in the Twelve Caesars tells about uh, Caesar being captured by pirates and held for ransom. And he's like not in the least bit afraid of them at all and tells them to ask for a higher sum of money and stuff yes. like that and in the end he is uh, saved and th- this is where I-, I personally think Suetonius goes kind of crazy when he describes you know like the 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 awe-inspiring mercy of uh, Caesar because he does, doesn't have the pirates tortured or anything. They just get their 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are no like perverse tortures. I have to make a podcast recommendation here. Cameron Riley's uh, podcast, Life of Caesar, has a wonderful episode on the pirates. <laughs> so that's recommended. Yeah. All of the podcasts, great about Caesar's life. Yeah, man, that sounds very interesting. There's also, of course, the story about Sala, where when Sala is having yeah. his first great mass murder in Rome, and he's putting people on the list, and some influential people go like, "No, no, not not Julius Caesar. He's young." Say so there's, and Sala says, "I can see many Mariuses in this young man," <laughs> but he gets convinced and takes Caesar off the list. Yeah, and he also gets that crazy high priest. Hood. Yeah, right. Huh. When he becomes the... Uh, uh, oh, God, the term slips away. When he becomes the high priest of all Rome. Yeah, I can't remember it either. But how, how many episodes Pontifex Maximus. Pontifex Maximus. Yeah. How many episodes are there on Caesar? I think there's about 80 or yeah. so. Forgive me, Cameron, if I <laughs> say In- the wrong number. Interested people can indulge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... The first two chapters, Caesar's, Caesar and Augustus, uh, are the two longest chapters in uh, the Twelve Caesars. And it has been speculated that these are the longest chapters because when Suetonius wrote them, he that was when he was working as the director of the in- Imperial Archives. Oh. But he had to quit uh, sometime it's, I don't think it's specified exactly when he had to quit but he and some uh, other uh, uh, staff members yeah. were, were sacked okay. uh, there, there he, were cut downs yeah, this imperial archive is costing way too much I think uh, the reason for them being fired is mentioned in not Suetonius' case, but in uh, another guy's case, and that was that he had been like uh, ha- ha- he had affairs with some woman okay. close to the emperor, and he didn't like that at all. Oh. And so, like Suetonius was probably grouped in with a lot of other people, and they just had to go. I mean, they weren't, you know, like executed or anything, but they had to leave their posts yeah. so so it has been speculated that these first two chapters are long because uh, Suetonius was uh, at the place when he wrote them and could write a lot directly from the papers in the uh, imperial archives but then the other chapters are said to be short because he wrote them just from his memory oh. or from lesser sources that they had so the chapters on uh, uh, Caesar and Augustus have a lot of quotes, direct quotes, and uh, and pretty long quotes. And the other chapters have far less quotes, and they are always shorter. Yeah. So well, that's a shame. Then we wish he would have stayed in the imperial archives. Yes, exactly. But if that's true, the the man had a really excellent memory. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, there is still a lot of information. On the emperors after Caesar and Augustus, and and looking at the amount of material that has survived from Caesar's time, there is a lot today. So yeah. there's probably a lot out in the open as well. Yeah, it would have been, I guess. So what more can be said of Suetonius' style? Well, uh, earlier on I said that he was a biographer, 
And I think that's important to remember because while Suetonius was a biographer, uh, his uh, famous counterpart Tacitus is considered to be a historian. Oh. Yeah, and in, uh, in lack for better words, Tacitus doesn't have the colorful language of Suetonius. He is much more strict. He, it would be a lie to say that he is uh, wholly objective, because he isn't. But no. he, he does not indulge in these small, anecdotal, interesting details that we find in uh, Suetonius. So they are very different uh, authors to uh, read. Uh, but uh, as I said before, Suetonius has come under a lot of scrutiny and be- been called a sensationalist and stuff like that. And you can't trust a single word that he has written because he was just a, a gossiper. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was just looking to sell copies. <laughs> yes, exactly. And therefore, he told us about all these uh, crazy things the emperors do. Which is probably why Suetonius sells better today. I think the Twelve Emperors yeah. is a more popular work today than. Uh, I guess it Anything is. Tacitus wrote. And then I guess it's the translation by Robert Graves, who okay. is the famous author of uh, the books that the TV series I Claudius is based on. Ah, I actually got the Twelve Emperors as a Christmas gift from my ex-wife at some point. So it's it's in the oh, it's right. in the room <laughs> with okay. us. That's really funny. I w- I I've only read the. The Twelve Caesars in Swedish, but I would love to read the Robert Graves version. Too. I also read it in Swedish. Yeah. No idea who translated it. Uh, I guess there have been. I hope s- it was translated directly from <laughs> Latin into Swedish. Yes, exactly. That's always what you hope for. Uh, in this case, the edition I have read of the yeah. Twelve Caesars is translated by Ingemar Lagerström okay. uh, and the biography we had now on Suetonius I based on uh, a lot of stuff that Ingemar Lagerström uh, has written Thank you Ingmar Yes, thank you Ingmar You've done a great, great work and uh, Ingmar has also translated uh, Historia Augusta which is another oh. old source on uh, the emperors that followed the first twelve Caesars Uh, You can cut that out if he shouldn't be the translator of that, but I think he is. (laughs) You tell me later. Yes, exactly. Uh, So yeah, I I would say that The Twelve Caesars is a great read for anyone interested in history or uh, just ancient literature overall. I mean, uh, for me in Swedish, it wasn't a hard read at all and not not a boring moment you know no it's a it's a great book actually yes it really is and And if you don't know anything about the early roman history of the emperors then this is the book you should read absolutely it is uh it is such a good uh read and yeah I, I, I could speak about the Twelve Caesars all day. There is so much yeah, to Yeah, go on. Let's, let's talk about each, uh, each of the Caesars. Yes, maybe we should. So, the one thing I remember most from the first chapter in the book about uh, Caesar is a very colorful dream that Caesar uh, should have had. Okay. Uh, which he went with to a medium just to like, please explain this to me because I woke up in cold sweat and I don't know what it's about at all. Yeah. And it was uh, a wet dream in which Caesar had sex with his mother. Okay. 
And the medium, of course, read this as something very, very good because the mother is like uh, a symbol for the world. And uh-huh. Caesar is making love to the world. It says something of him conquering the whole world. <laughs> so the medium uh, made him feel really big, I guess, and yeah. ready for action. Suetonius also speaks uh, of Caesar's uh, epilepsy, yeah. which I think most history buffs know of today. But I think it's a fact that hasn't always been mentioned in all about in all texts about Caesar, and especially not in his own autobiography, <laughs> where he is uh, only the big conqueror and a perfect uh, human being with no uh, bad sides at all. Yeah, he's very different from the other uh, emperors coming after him in that uh, so much of Caesar's own work survives. Yeah. And but... even was used in schools to learn Latin for a long time. Yeah, indeed. I, ha- I haven't read the autobiography myself, but I would very much love to read it. I think it's a very interesting read. Because e- even, if it's, even if it doesn't tell, and this is from what I've uh, learned when I read the course on... Roman emperors last year, uh, even though Caesar's autobiography doesn't mention his bad sides, it is still kind of careful to not use a too colorful language to describe his uh, victories and stuff like that, because uh, Caesar was concerned that no one should read this as propaganda, even though it was, but he wanted it to be like... Oh, someone can take this for an objective text yeah. that uh, told the truth. But, of course, we know better today than to read it word for word and think that oh, all of this is true, you know. As I said before, Suetonius uh, has something bad to say about each of the emperors. I mean, there is not one perfect emperor. They all had their... I, I mean, at least uh, for us modern readers, they yes. all had some... Uh, cruel side to them and one of my favorite uh, anecdotes from the chapter about Caesar is when it described his battling techniques when he was out in the country and conquering stuff and he would come with his army and they would stand on a hill or something like that uh, looking over the place uh, seeing the enemy and they are like before they are going to clash together Caesar commands a special group of people like now you go out first and he sent them out into the battle and then he sent some other guys after the first group to take the first group's horses away from them so they wouldn't be able to flee during the battle if things went south. <laughs> okay, so they better stay put and do their thing. Yes, exactly, because else they're dead. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that is so cruel. <laughs> Very cruel. But uh, it might have been effective because uh, Caesar was truly effective as a conqueror. <laughs> yes, obviously one of the best Roman generals ever. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Or at least he says so. Yes, and uh, he did win a lot. Of course, he had uh, Mar- Mark Anthony by his side, who yeah. sh- would also have been a really great military leader, from what I know. Yes. Um, yeah, but so on to Augustus. Yeah, what, what? There's a lot about Augustus. So. Yes, what can we say about him? So, like, he was 
historically he is one of the most I, I mean in fact he is the first emperor and if you read Suetonius you really get the feeling that he was beloved and I really believe that he was because as you said before when we talked about him he was kind of soft and kind of careful maybe yeah probably because he was the first emperor and uh, and he saw he knew that Julius Caesar was murdered because indeed (laughs) he wasn't humble enough exactly so he he learned from the best (laughs) yeah you can say and to understand Augustus, I think you have to understand the Roman Revolution, the hundred years that came before, mm-hmm. that the, this extremely long period of civil unrest where the Republic is unraveling and yeah. Julius Caesar is still a child of the Republic mm-hmm. and he, he's still living in this old world yeah. and Augustus sort of creates a new world and gets yes. to live as long as he does yes, which indeed. is a surprise to a lot of people as he was so sickly yes you know, exactly saying. but he creates this stable world where suddenly there is he Pax does. Romana <laughs> indeed and I mean Pax Romana has been criticized for <laughs> not being a true peace yes. but like uh, there is peace if you don't try anything like peace under threat or yeah. whatever. Is Suetonius mentioning the Temple of Janus at the doors of the Temple of Janus? He, he, I can't remember that he does, but I know about those uh, yeah, doors. Yeah, Augustus is trying to close the doors to the Temple of Janus all the time because when the doors are closed, there's peace. Yes. And then something happens. That's like, God damn, those doors. Yeah, that's really... <laughs> but that's whenever he closes them, he makes a lot of fuss about it. I close the doors <laughs> exactly. of the Temple of Janus. But, uh, like... The, the impression I get is that when you read about uh, laws that Augustus implemented, uh, he he seems kind of uh, sound and intelligent, and he wanted to make things better for the people, uh, or he might have done it for uh, selfish reasons or out of being scared for what could happen to him but i mean he was uh, uh all in all kind of nice but yeah. as i said there are always some details of the, the cruelty you could find in the emperors and one one part of the chapter on augustus describes his uh paranoia uh, a short while i think after being appointed uh, the title of emperor, then he is very par- paranoid and uh, thinks that everyone is out to get him. And he could like imprison and torture people for the slightest thing because oh. he was so scared. And there is this one very scary detail when one man, which I don't remember the name of, is uh, arrested and imprisoned. And Augustus is sure of his uh, guilt. He he knows that he was in some kind of conspiracy to murder Augustus so someone else could take his place and stuff like that. And it is said in uh, Suetonius' chapter that Augustus personally, with his own hands, claws out the eyes of this poor guy. Okay. And then he is killed. And I mean, so much for the beloved emperor. I mean, it's like... <laughs> yeah... Uh, one thing that always impressed me about Augustus is the amount of people involved in running the Roman Empire. Yeah. Because we have this, uh, if you look at the, the empire of the late 3rd century, 
AD, when the stabilizers after the crisis of the third century, you have this enormous machine running the empire, yeah. whereas Augustus sort of runs it pretty much by having everyone's goodwill and being everybody's friend and people are just doing yeah. the right thing because... So the, the amount of bureaucrats and people involved yeah. in running the empire, of course, he relies on the republic, mm. but it's still such a different, the principate compared to the dominant. Yeah, it must have been. And there I have to cut us off because uh, the discussion went on for a long time. But uh, we will continue with the rest of the discussion in the next episode. Meanwhile, you can go to YouTube and subscribe to the Fano History YouTube channel. You can go to Facebook and like the Fano History Facebook page. And if you really like us to do episodes every other week again, please support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fano History. I would really much like that. There is another co-host in the making and uh, that will be the episode after the next one because David will continue to talk about Suetonius for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.